0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Plato once said, Let parents bequeath to their children not riches, but the spirit of reverence. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective, and joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades.
2: This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: So, Jonathan, what is today's episode all about?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, do I have other gods and idols in my life? And our theme text is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God.
1: Okay, do I have other gods and idols in my life? So coming up in today's podcast— The Ten Commandments, they seem so old-fashioned. Do they really matter? If I say I believe in God and I go to church, doesn't that cover it? We'll find out in about 15 minutes. The second commandment about not having idols, well, back then it was a big thing, stone and wood carvings of gods. For today's Christian, that doesn't seem like it's relevant at all. Actually, it's just the opposite, and we'll talk about why in about 30 minutes. So, If having other gods and worshiping idols are a thing, then what do we do to be rid of them? Well, here are the profoundly inspirational answer coming up in about 45 minutes. So let's get started. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he set a standard that would influence the world for ages to come. Those ten statements of direction summed up all of what humanity would need to live godly and productive lives— The first two of those commandments were to have no other gods before God himself and to not create and worship idols. While we know what these things meant for ancient Israel, what do they mean for us? Are we as Christians bound by those commandments? If so, how? What does having other gods look like Now, in the 21st century. And what about idols? Back in those days, people chiseled idols out of wood or stone. We don't do that anymore. So how would making and worshiping idols fit into our day? So, Jonathan, as we look at this subject, the Ten Commandments as a whole, we want to just touch on the the, the whole body of the commandments first, because they actually represent an architectural plan for godly life. With the first commandment as the absolute foundation for the rest, and that we cannot forget. The first commandment is the absolute foundation for the rest. The ten are a collection of life-building necessities that are developed through fidelity and righteousness. So there's several points just to put the ten commandments in a format, Jonathan. What are they?
2: Well, the first four commandments all guide our relationship with God.
1: Okay. First four, relationship with God. What's next?
2: The first commandment is an internal instruction. It is fulfilled within our heart and mind.
1: And we're going to focus on that first commandment in just a few minutes. Go ahead. The next three are external action instructions. Their fulfillment can be seen. Okay, so the the, the first one's internal, relating to God. The next three are external, relating to God. What's next? The second six are all guiding our relationship with our human family. So we go from our relationship to God, to relationship with the human family, to round out the ten. And Commandments 5 through 9 are
2: external
1: action instructions. Their fulfillment can be seen. Okay, so again, just like Commandments 2, 3, and 4, Commandments 5 through 9 are those things that can be seen. And what about the tenth?
2: Well, the tenth is an internal
1: instruction. It is fulfilled within our heart and mind. So really what we have with the Ten Commandments is kind of like a sandwich effect. You've got the first commandment, that internal, the last commandment, the internal, having no other gods before me, not coveting. So surrounding all of our actions are the internal desires of our hearts and minds related to God in heaven and to our human family. So the Ten Commandments are a really neat little package which has world-changing capacity, if we would let it. It's just these ten statements that literally change everything. So let's take a look at the First Commandment. We're going to focus in on the First and Second Commandments today. First Commandment first, the context. Let's look at the context of what God says when he gives that First Commandment. We're going to go to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3.
2: Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay. Well, Rick, uh, only God could have saved three million people with no military intervention. <laughs> you know, what other gods can say that?
1: <laughs> when You think about the leading of Israel out of slavery, and you're right, three million men, women, and children without a shot being fired, without any loss of life in terms of altercation, and they literally walk out after being enslaved for 142 years. That's an incredible piece of information to put out there. What You're right. What other God can do that? And in the verse, out of the house of slavery, you know— There's
2: a spiritual parallel for us as Christians being saved out of that house of slavery, and we're going to be getting into that a little bit later on, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, because this all has to do with having no other God before God. And for Christians, we have the same kind of release from slavery, and I'm glad you brought that up now. So when God says, have no other gods before me, here's what he's saying. I, God, am first in your mind. I am your instinctive go-to source of strength courage, calm, wisdom, insight, and direction. I, God, am the worthy recipient of your praise and thanksgiving. That's what he means by having no other gods before him.
2: And violation of this first commandment is the beginning of the downfall of any individual or civilization. This can be subtle, as it always happens in your mind first, Lucifer is a good example.
1: Yeah, a good example or a bad example, however you want to frame <laughs> that. <laughs> you know, Satan, the original usurper, sought personal power and to be worshipped by God's earthly creation. And that wasn't good.:
2: Not only earthly creation, but I was thinking the angels
1: that would follow him. Yeah. he became their God also. Yeah, that he interesting? did. And that was way off kilter from what should have been. Let's take a quick look at the prophetic utterance that gives us a sense of what happened in Lucifer's mind. We see that in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 to 14.
2: How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Wow. Now, Rick, didn't Satan guide humanity into the slavery of sin?
1: (laughs) You know, it's such an interesting comparison. God says, you shall have no other gods before me because I delivered you out from slavery. And and yet you have this example of Satan, yes, delivering man into the slavery of sin. Now, there is a God you don't want to be following. That's it's for sure. <laughs> really, really simple. What a dramatic contrast. So, when God says, have no other gods, let's try to get that a little bit more practically understood. You know, other gods would be the elevation of anyone or anything in our lives that would challenge God's sacred and rightful ascendancy in ourselves. In our minds, these people or things can rival his power, his justice, his wisdom, and his love. So, it's anything that would challenge God. God's sacred and rightful ascendancy. So let's try to make it a little more practical. Jonathan, some other potential gods that we could put before God himself.
2: Well, ego, people,
1: success, comfort, wealth, power, social position. So those are some. There, there, There's plenty others, but we're just giving you an idea. These can be other gods, okay? So how do we keep God first? You know, and, and the answer to that question... The first answer we're going to give is really kind of silly, almost, but it's really, really important. The answer is, well, decide. You know, it's like, duh. Well, you know, (laughs) but why do we say that? Because it is a critical foundation to get started. Next scripture we're going to talk about is from Joshua, and the context is that Joshua is bringing the people back from idolatry. Now, this is one of his last acts as he dies shortly after these events in Joshua chapter 24— Verses 14 through 17, we'll read, part, pause, and we'll finish up.
2: Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are
1: living. So it's interesting, Joshua gives the people choices. He says, okay, here you are, you've strayed off of the the path of following after God, and he says, you're going to need to make a choice here. You know, I am telling you, fear God, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods, which your fathers. And he's referring all the way back to Terah, the father of Abraham, who had problems with idolatry he's saying don't follow those pathways follow the right pathway and he says okay and if it's disagreeable if you don't want to serve god then which one of these other gods are you going to pick because they all know that these other gods are useless so he's saying decide yes (laughs) he is he's saying decide so what do the people say Well, first of all, Joshua gives his decision and then gives the people opportunity. So let's pick up again. We're in Joshua 24.
2: But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and
1: among all the peoples through, whom, uh, through whose midst we passed. So it's interesting that the people say, no, 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 we're going to serve God. And what's the big reason they give? Because he delivered us from slavery. I mean, think about the power of that deliverance. Again, you mentioned it, Jonathan. Three million people brought out of slavery, not a shot fired, they just walked out. What other God at what other time in any part of human history can make a claim even remotely close to that?
2: And they're saying, we have
1: physical, clear evidence of God's power, his grace, his wisdom, and actions. So they're saying, of course we're going to serve God. Now, we know what happened. They came back, and then they would fall off, and they come back and fall off, and, and that's kind of human nature. Okay, And that's why, Well, how do you keep God first? You decide again and again and again and again, because that's human nature. So, Jonathan, at, at the end of each, uh, each of our points, we've got a keeping God first point. What is our first one here?
2: There are many ways we can lose our focus in the most important thing, and we are therefore tasked with deciding regularly about where our allegiance lies. And Rick... God had Israel remember how he rescued them out of slavery by annually celebrating the Passover. It was his reminder to them that he is their God and to have no other gods before him. Now, let's look at the Holocaust, a modern day example for Israel. How many generations said that they would never forget? Well, what about our generation? Are we beginning to forget? And I think The answer is yes, because as generations pass, the impact loses its its intensity, and we forget.
1: Yeah, you know, and and, and the the children growing up now, you wonder what their sense of the Holocaust is going to be. And so God, by providing the Passover, gave them that continual reminder of how worthy he is. Have no other gods before me. So we've got a good start here to putting things in order. Our Almighty God is a God of promise and righteous action. No other gods anywhere can make that claim.
2: Knowing God delivers is inspiring, but we're still imperfect. How do we keep Him always before us?
0: Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick?
1: Deciding only to worship and serve God sounds like it would be enough. However, as we walk through the myriad of life's experiences, we realize there's always a thought or an observation or an event that can get us off track. Deciding is a good start, but we need much more to stay focused. This is a battle to have no other gods before God. And
2: Rick, it comes down to what is in your heart In relation to God and to others, the first and 10th commandments will dictate
1: what you do in relation to God and to others. So it comes down to what's in your heart. And we're starting there because there's so much to that and we're going to develop that. But here, Jonathan, here's the thing show me what truly dwells in your heart, and I will show you the path that your life will take. Because what dwells in our heart inevitably bubbles up in some way and directs us. And even though we may know differently, we tend to follow the heart. So keep that in mind. Let's go to a soundbite from Modern Idolatry. It's a Modern Idolatry compilation from Time of Grace Ministry, and it just makes an observation about idolatry um, and, and how, well, let me let it speak for itself, how big a problem it is.
3: Then I actually started to do a little research on idolatry, and I discovered that some of the most influential thinkers in world history, including some of the the best Bible scholars, said that idolatry wasn't just a sin or wasn't just a problem in life. And it's certainly not just an ancient problem. It's the overarching problem of life. It's the reason the world looks the way it does today and the reason humans behave the way we do.
1: So, you know, he, he's talking about idolatry, and of course idolatry is an outgrowth of having other gods, and we're going to get into the differences and so forth in a little bit. But, you know, he talked about it as the overarching problem in life, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, that we want to keep keep clear in our own heads. So, keeping our decision to keep God first and vibrant is a vital process. Its basis for operation is in understanding who God is. And that sounds simple. Oh, you know, who is God? Well, he made everything. Oh, there's so much more than this. Okay, notice, notice this. is all going to be based on the faith that we've been given. We're going to go to a set of scriptures in 2 Peter, and it's going to really help, I think, to put having no other God before God and putting idolatry away in order. And, Jonathan, as we go through this scripture in 2 Peter, we're going to look for attributes of of allegiance. Attributes of allegiance. What makes somebody have allegiance, you know? Uh, how, what are the things that are there? Well, faith is an allegiance attribute, and what, what is that? Well, the gift of our calling requires allegiance. So the gift of our calling requires allegiance, and the gift of our calling is our faith. How do we know that? Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is going to give us that, and it's also going to give us a description of who God is.
2: Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine
1: nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Now, you just said an incredible mouthful. We could stop and pause and do three podcasts on just these verses.
2: You are right.
1: Because, first of all, we all know the scripture about He's given us these great and precious promises, and we all cling to that. But, folks, look at the verses around that, and what you see is who God is. You know, God in these verses, He's righteous,
2: He's rescuing,
1: He's powerful.
2: He's generous.
1: He's loving. He's glorious. He is morally excellent. He's reliable. And he's uplifting. That's just in these verses. So when you look at a God like that, you say, wow, this is pretty good stuff. And Rick, faith has
2: two aspects. First, it is faith in the gospel. And secondly, it is the expression
1: of our belief. Right. So, And this is talking about faith in in the gospel. It says, Peter is saying to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, this is what you have received, and now your faith has to grow as a result of having the faith. So when we talk about all of this is based on the faith we've been given, it is talking about the faith in the gospel that Peter is directing us to. So our faith, the gospel that we have, is the beginning of, of keeping God first of the process of keeping God first. These verses that we started with 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. Now we just read 1 through 4. That whole section is going to provide several necessary allegiance attributes to keep our faith sound and to keep God first. Have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. That is the most important commandment of all of them. And if we get that one right, and keep it right, we have the opportunity to get the others right as well. But Jonathan, without that first one, everything else falls away. You're right, absolutely. Okay, so let's go to Second Peter. Okay, these are the verses, we did one through four. Let's go to Second Peter 1, 5, and see how this keeping God first process unfolds.
2: Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Rick, the word diligent means work hard, work quickly, with urgency. So there's no wasting time here.
1: Yeah, you know, and and it's interesting, he says, for this very reason, apply all diligence in your faith. So in other words, you've been given this faith. Now apply all diligence, and in your faith, supply moral excellence. So, you know, for what reason? Well, because God— we just saw a description of him, has unequivocally promised us deliverance from corruption into divine nature. Apply diligence, like you said, apply speed, apply eagerness, apply earnestness. But Jonathan, the reason is we've been delivered from slavery, just like you said before. That's right. This is where it comes out for us spiritually. We've been delivered from the slavery of sin. A Christian life lived casually— ends up inevitably becoming a casualty. And we have to be careful we don't allow our lives in keeping God first to be done casually because I can assure you, you'll end up as a casualty. So how do we do this? Let's look at the elements of these verses in terms of allegiance attributes. We saw faith as the basis. The next allegiance attribute is moral excellence. What is that?
2: This is the allegiance of our heart.
1: Okay, equate moral excellence with the allegiance of our heart to God. We put God first by eagerly supplying moral excellence to the foundation of our faith. Just like you said, not in a lax way, but get to it, get to work, be diligent, be earnest about it. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and then 11 and 12 as an example of moral excellence on two different levels
2: but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light
1: you know it's really interesting that peter in second peter 1 verse uh, 3 talked about god having moral excellence and then in second peter first uh, peter chapter 2 uh, verse um verse 9, he mentions God's moral excellence again. The word excellence means moral excellence. So he's saying this is the model of what we are to strive for because God is so lofty in his being and his plan. We, therefore, are spurred on to always keep him first as we strive for moral excellence. So verse 11 and 12, this is what our striving starts to look like. Beloved,
2: I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your excellent behavior or virtuous among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know the saying on some church signs uh, that says, come as you are. Yeah. This verse tells us come as you are, but don't stay as you are.
1: Raise yourself up to a higher level. Right. Keep your behavior excellent, virtuous among the Gentiles. In other words, they should notice a difference. Folks, here's here's a news flash. If you're a Christian in a worldly environment, you should behave differently. You should behave in a godly way and people might be looking at you like what are they all about that's okay because we need to rise ourselves up this is how we keep god first moral excellence is such an important thing so th- th- we just need to understand how all this works
2: uh, we want to keep god first and how we do that is based on our faith in god's character and plan We keep him first by building our lives with only those things which are morally excellent. This makes us pay attention with our hearts.
1: Okay, so we have to pay attention with our hearts.
2: Our heart is what chooses our building blocks. Make no mistake about it. We can intentionally choose, but we often end up with our hearts pushing us into what to do. This is the human propensity.
1: See, that's a really important point. The, the idea that, okay, I've made a choice. I've decided, just like with Joshua and the, and the nation of Israel. Okay, I've decided we will serve God. Great decision! But sometimes our hearts, like you said, push us other directions. That's right. Because our hearts react to circumstances. They react to feelings. They react to trauma. They react to sadness. And it gets us off track. And we have to be really, really careful. Rick, why is moral excellence right after faith? See, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, because that, that, that's a big thing. God, God has this building blocks that Peter is, is revealing to us, and he, and he says, okay, you've got the faith, the gospel that's given to you. Moral excellence is required because the gospel requires us to be elevated— And the biggest problem is within our own morality, within the decisions we make as human beings versus the decisions we make as followers of Jesus. So moral excellence has to be the first thing that we work on because we have to elevate ourselves. Come as you are, but do not, do not stay as you are. It has to be first. And you wait to see how the rest of these things all just come together. It's really, really cool. So we've got... The, the uh, allegiance attribute of faith, the basis, and then the allegiance attru- attribute of moral excellence. The next allegiance attribute is that of knowledge. And this is the allegiance of our intellect. Okay, knowledge is the allegiance of our intellect to God. Our moral excellence is the decision that should drive us to a better understanding of God and his plan. So the moral excellence drives us to want to know— to want to understand, to want to uncover, because we're trying to elevate ourselves and draw closer to God. 2 Timothy 2, 15-16.
2: Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead further to ungodliness. Hey, Rick, the word diligent is here again. (laughs) Inspires us to study hard, to find the truth.
1: Yeah, you know what? We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. Now, those are hard statements for a lot of us, because we don't necessarily go there. We go to church, we're happy with what we hear, we walk away and we feel better. Folks, that's not what Christianity is all about. To have no other gods before God, we have to draw closer to Him by knowing what it is we believe, and why, as best as we can know why, this proves our fidelity to God. If you want to have no other gods before God, you have to prove your fidelity to him. It's just the, the way it works. So what's our keeping God first point here? Based on our pursuit of moral
2: excellence, our effort should bring us to an ever-growing intellectual appreciation of God first. The stronger our mind, the more substance we can impart to our heart. So, Rick, to recap, faith, moral excellence, and knowledge are foundational.
1: They really are, and especially when you build your knowledge based on the moral excellence because you have the gospel. It just just fits. It's such a perfect building so that there is no other God in between us and the Almighty. See, now we can begin to see how encompassing keeping God first can be. We really need to stay in the game.
2: Now that we have a sense of no other gods before me, what about building and worshiping idols?
0: Our CQ crew is always giving you podcast extras, like our exclusive weekly newsletter that highlights featured episodes you may not have discovered yet, video content you may not have seen yet, CQ Rewind show notes, extra Bible study questions, and social media highlights, all packed into an easy to follow email inbox delivery. Sign up now by texting CQ Rewind to the number 22828. That's CQ Rewind with no spaces. Text to the number 22828. We now Never sell or give away your information and you can unsubscribe at any time. It's easy, so just send us a text and you'll be subscribed.
1: It's critically important to get the first commandment in place and understood. And once we clearly see the import of no other gods before me, tackling the major issue of idolatry now has a sound basis. This second commandment has a very different though no less pertinent, modern appearance than before, than the old times.
2: Rick, we need to separate what it means to have other gods and what it means to have idols, and I think many of us think they're the same thing.
1: Yeah, uh, and and you know, if you noticed in the first soundbite, there was talking about idolatry as the biggest, the biggest problem, you know, the most overriding problem in humanity. And I didn't make this comment then, because now that you brought this up, now it's appropriate— But the biggest problem is not idolatry. It's having other gods before God that causes us to have idols, okay? So there's a big difference between those two things, and we're going to lay that out in this segment. So let's go to the second commandment. We've really talked about, from a Christian perspective, having no other gods before God. The second commandment, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6.
2: You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to
1: those who love me and keep my commandments." You know, you say, well, I'm a jealous God. Well, okay, yeah, really? Well, think about this. He's the creator. He should be jealous for our fidelity. He should be. And he says, when he says he visits the iniquity on the third and fourth generations, you know what that means? It means he allows the sinfulness of walking away from him to have its full effect. He's not going to intervene. He's going to let it go so the lesson can be learned. That's a good father. That is a good righteous father. So that's the second commandment, having no other gods uh, before him and now not having idols. So let's remember, okay, having no other gods, we, we already we discussed this, it means the elevation of anyone or anything in our lives that would challenge God's rightful place. And remember, Jonathan, just let's review quickly what's, what are some of those other potential gods we talked about. Ego, people, success, comfort, wealth, power, social position. Okay, those are other gods. Now, let's compare that with idols. Not making idols means do not make any tangible way to focus your allegiance that belongs to God elsewhere.
2: Rick, I thought of this scripture uh, that I read over this weekend, and it really fit perfectly here, uh, about idols, and that's found in Habakkuk, 2 verses 18 and 19. Oh, this is a good verse. <laughs> what profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For it, its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all inside it. Amazing scripture. Now, you know, that made me think of the golden calf, a lifelong lesson Israel can look back on of a big mistake.
1: Yeah, and you know, and the idea of creating the idol, you created the image, and you proclaim that this image that you created is the great thing, or the great one, or whatever it happens to be. And there is such a disconnect with honoring the actual living God who created us versus worshiping those things that we essentially create.
2: He also created the wood, the stone, yeah, the gold, right. and the silver. That's by right. The
1: way. <laughs> by the way, just 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 saying. So so let's talk about some of the suggested kinds of things that can be idols versus those suggested things that can be gods.
2: Possessions, objects, pictures, symbols that enhance ego, that unduly elevate people,
1: that depict success, comfort, wealth power or social position all right now now we've got to be a little careful here because these things don't have to be idols but they certainly can be there is nothing wrong with having a goal in life and having a picture to remind you hey this is this is this particular goal and this part of my life that i'm trying to accomplish there's nothing wrong with that okay there's nothing wrong with having things that help us focus but when they become the object of our focus because it's feeding ego or our relationship or view of other people, or it's feeding the idea of success being the God in our lives, or it's feeding our own comfort as being the thing for us, or wealth, or power, or social position as being, this is what is the most important thing, that's where those idols become really, really dangerous. So the same things that can actually spur you to good action can become idols if they're put in the wrong context. And we have to be really careful. Let's go to another soundbite from this modern idolatry compilation from Time of Grace Ministry and give some really great quotes from some very, very old uh, Christians uh, in, in the past giving a sense of idolatry.
3: For instance, Martin Luther once said that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. In other words, what he's saying is it doesn't matter so much what you say on Sunday mornings on a day-to-day basis throughout the week, whatever you run to for security and hope and purpose in life, functionally, that's really your God. Another reformer, John Calvin said something similar. He said that the human heart is an idol factory. Every one of us is an expert from our mother's womb in inventing idols. Even before these guys, one of the early church fathers named St. Augustine said something similar. He maybe said it best. He said, sin and idolatry isn't so much loving bad things and doing bad things; it's loving good things too much. It's loving good things and making them God things in your life. It's loving the blessings of life ahead of the blesser. It's loving created things ahead of our Creator God.
1: Amen to that.
3: Yeah, right on.
1: So you can take good things and you can make them your gods or, or idols, depending on on what what part uh, what role they play. See, having other gods is a thought process, as we started this podcast with that idea of the first commandment being internal. Having other gods is a thought process and an internal decision, and having idols brings that internal decision into the light of day. Rick, we're
2: either producing reverence to God or idols to other gods.
1: Wow. Okay, so it's an either-or. Yes. And if you're saying, well, no, I'm not doing either. Oh, yes, you are because that means your Christianity is being handled casually, which means you will end up being a casualty as a result. If we don't take it seriously, we are finding ourselves other gods and therefore producing other idols. That's a hard thing to hear, but if we look deeply into our lives, we're going to find that to be true. Jonathan, this to me, this is scary. Okay, and it requires a lot of thinking to put it in the right order. So let's go to back to Second Peter chapter one. Uh, remember, we talked about moral excellence and knowledge. So now we're going to build on that. Second Peter one five through the first part of verse six, and we're going to reread some of these things to keep the context.
2: Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance.
1: Okay, so faith, moral excellence, and knowledge give us, uh, in a big way, the first commandment. They help us to have no other gods before us. Now we're going to look at the next piece is self-control and perseverance as how to avoid idolatry. So the next allegiance attribute is self-control. This is the allegiance of our passions. So, what you're going to notice here is each of these aspects that Peter brings out is another aspect of allegiance. It's another attribute of allegiance. Rick, why is knowledge before self-control? You know that, that's uh, you know that's a really good question because you know you got the idea that self control. You think well, you know I should always have self control, but if we don't have self control based on godliness and based on righteousness. We don't know what self-control even looks like. So you have to put that knowledge in place first so you know how to define what self-control actually is. We put God first and deconstruct any idols by applying self-control, the mastery of our passions, to the knowledge and moral excellence that we've already built upon our faith. Rick, you're
2: not saying don't have passion— but have reverent passion.
1: Yes, exactly, 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 exactly. And that's going to come out in a big way as we get into the perseverance part of this. But self-control has to be in place. Let's look at 1 Corinthians as an example. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27.
2: Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified."
1: So the whole idea of self-control, the Apostle Paul is really putting out for us and saying, you must follow through. Be controlled because he knows where he's going. He knows what the objective is. He has the knowledge first. We may have thoughts of other gods in our imperfect minds. The question is, what do we do with those thoughts? See, self-control catches them and denies their passing into the light of day. And Jonathan, I got to tell you, this is important to me because I have thoughts that are not godly thoughts. And I do too. And the question you have to ask, I have to ask myself is, what am I going to do? And... This might sound corny, but I'm going to say it anyway, because this is an imagery in my own mind. You know, in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, for those of you who know it or don't know it, Gandalf is a, is a, is a hero, and he's having, having a standoff with this monstrously evil being, and they're on this little rickety bridge, and Gandalf is standing in the way, and he's protecting everybody else, and he commands that evil being, and he says, "'You shall not pass.'" And that, that's the kind of imagery that I want to put into my own head. When I get those thoughts that are not godly, you shall not pass into the light of day. It is not your jurisdiction. You are not allowed there. Folks, you have a thought. What do you do with that thought? Keeping God first, what is it?
2: Heart allegiance and intellectual
1: understanding
2: feed our ability to keep our passions in check. Self-control is the first step in preventing a thought from becoming an action.
1: Okay, it's the first step. Self-control is the first step in preventing a thought from becoming an action. Do you want to not have idols? Have self-control. Have it built on knowledge, which is built on moral excellence, which is built on the foundation of our faith. It's the first step in preventing a thought from becoming an action. So now, we've got to say, okay, well, what's the next step? Glad you asked, because it brings us to the next allegiance attribute. And again, Peter is showing us how to keep God, God in our lives, and how not to have any kind of idols. The next allegiance attribute is perseverance. This is the allegiance of our energy. Okay, so the self-control was the allegiance of our passions— Perseverance is the allegiance of our energy. Perseverance is the act of consciously staying the course and of faithfully bearing the weight of the burden. Perseverance is necessary to continually keep from building and worshiping idols. You can't keep it from happening unless you persevere. Uh, Because, Rick, we do it naturally, don't we? (laughs) And that's the point. We build idols naturally because we're sinful. Okay? So... We've got to make sure that perseverance is in place. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8, and then go to verse 11.
2: Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And Rick, this word merciful here is something I've been focusing on the last three or four weeks. And to me, I want to be more merciful to others. Um, I realize I make tons of mistakes and I'm reminded God uh, that God's Son, Jesus, died for everyone. He died for them, too. So I want to develop this merciful quality, uh, because it is so beautiful. I want to be like my Heavenly Father.
1: You know, and and having that merciful quality, remember, God delivered you from slavery, just like he delivered uh, Israel from the slavery of Egypt. We should have no other God before him, and mercy is a wonderful way to focus ourselves. And you can't Apply mercy without perseverance, without endurance. Let's go to one more James scripture, James 1, 4. And let endurance have its perfect
2: result, so that you may be perfect, incomplete, lacking in nothing.
1: Let endurance have its result. You've got to let, by by applying it and then seeing what it can do for you. Can't, you know, endurance is not the kind of thing you try it for 30 seconds, say, well, let me see how that worked. <laughs> it's just, a, <laughs> it is a long-term application. So, we're looking at perseverance, keeping God first. What do we have?
2: Self control is useless without perseverance. Left to its own devices, imperfect humanity will be drawn to idolatry. Given permission, perseverance can draw us back to God. Rick, isn't idolatry the warning sign that something is wrong?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the thing we need to be able to do is recognize the warning sign. But it is. When we start to have idols, what that means is we've got another God before God. And we have to find out and dig deep to look and see what that is because getting rid of just the idol is not enough. We have to put God back in his place. So, really important point. It is a warning sign of something bigger, and it requires our action. A God-first allegiance is a lot of work and requires wholehearted, wholly focused effort to keep it thriving.
2: Will our allegiance to God always be such a struggle? Can we ever learn to just make it a habit?
0: Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Then click on the Bible Study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions.
1: You know, the good news is that allegiance, this allegiance battle does not have to rage on forever. The more diligently we fight to have and then maintain our appropriate loyalty, the more we will begin to live in accordance with our transformed mind of Christ in control. You see, our loyalty can become eternal. So how do you get your loyalty to become eternal? First of all, you have to open the door for it then you have to let it do its work. Then you have to feed it, and then you have to obey it. Okay, so it's not a simple thing, but to avoid having other gods before God, these are the things we need to put in place. So let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1, uh, and again, we're going to reread uh, some of these verses and then add to what we've already talked about, 1 verses 5 through 7.
2: Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So Rick, our godliness, our brotherly kindness and love are the byproduct of doing the
1: first four allegiance attributes. Exactly, exactly. You know, we want to be godly, because if you're godly, the implication is, hey, God's first. Okay, but how do you get there? You have to put all these other things into place. Godliness doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen because you walk into church on Sunday, and you feel like you're blessed, and you walk out of church on Sunday. That does not create godliness. Godliness is created in the daily struggles of the mind, of the experiences, of the heart, and uh, of circumstance. That's where godliness actually comes from. So let's talk about the next allegiance attribute, which is godliness. This is the allegiance of our character. We have to build a character that puts God first. That's what this is all about. When honored and followed, the self-control and perseverance to combat our imperfect and idolatrous ways will inevitably produce godliness. This is really good news. When we let self-control and perseverance go to work, which are based on knowledge and uh, moral excellence, it inevitably produces godliness. Godliness is reverence regularly applied. This is where idolatry dramatically shrinks and true character transformation can take place. And Jonathan, this is a breath of fresh air. We don't have to always struggle with, how do I become godly? If we allow the growth process and we work at the growth process, it can become an integral part of who we are. Romans 12, 2 and and 3 really gives us a, a sense of this.
2: And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith.
1: Okay, so don't be conformed, be transformed. We can't prove God's will unless we are in reverent harmony with it. See, Jonathan, we can go through verses and we can say, well, this means this and means this means that, and therefore that's the conclusion. That's not proving God's will. God's will is proven by the transformation of our characters so that we live those things that we intellectually can prove. That's how you have no other gods before God. It's a matter of, of in every aspect, digging deep, keeping him first, always 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 so keep God first what do we have
2: the payoff of perseverance is godliness when we are godly the fight against idolatry can come between uh, can become quickly discernible and quickly remedied
1: for our very character is now always seeking God see there is a powerful powerful payoff when we put perseverance in place and let it develop. And by letting it develop, it means you have to feed it. Just like we talked about, you have to make room for it, you have to let it, you have to feed it, then you have to obey it. And when you build that up, you, the payoff is godliness. Godliness brings spiritual victory. Even, Jonathan, even in experiences where we may experience defeat, there's still spiritual victory because we're working and we're getting up and trying again. God, and this may sound weird, but God loves when we fall down and get up and try again, and ask forgiveness. Thank
2: God for his mercy.
1: That's right. And, you know, you were talking about focusing on mercy, being like your father. Well, there you showed us exactly the power of that mercy. Okay, so we've got this godliness, and, and, you know, it's the character. It's the allegiance of our very character. So next, allegiance attribute, built on godliness, is brotherly kindness. And this is the allegiance of our relationships. See— the allegiance of our relationships to God, if we have allegiance to God in our relationships, it's stronger when we have allegiance of character to him first. And that's why I think Peter puts these things in this order. A godly character widely opens the door to genuine brotherly love. To see others through the eyes of brotherly love is to see them as God sees them. And you, you'd mentioned that before. All idolatrous tendencies fade into the background when we put brotherly love to work based on a godly character.
2: So keeping God as God means that our character has become godly, and we can now treat others with godliness and brotherly kindness in ways we never could before.
1: Yeah, and that's the key, in ways we never could before, because you are more mature in Christ— And there's more that can be done. Romans 12, 10 to 11 is good good verses that help us to focus on brotherly kindness.
2: Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the
1: Lord. Okay, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia. That's brotherly love our devotion, but it comes at a, in a much, much stronger way when we have that godly character because we're putting God first.
2: So, also, Rick, he says, don't lag behind in diligence. Diligence is
1: brought up again. We
2: really <laughs> have to put our urgency and energy into every one of these aspects.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I missed that one. That's good, I'm glad you brought that out. Again, it's diligence. Get after it. Don't slow down. Keep moving. Uh, but see, brotherly love is not only for the brotherhood. It's also for all of humanity as well. And you, you actually touched on that earlier. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let
2: love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it.
1: You know, and Jonathan, you had talked earlier about, you know, focusing on mercy. That's been your word in the last several weeks. Well, my word has been kindness. Interestingly enough, and I've been really, really working on just having kindness just come out from me in every possible opportunity. And you know, first of all, it is a joyful experience, it just because it's like, oh, how can I be kind? You know, and and <laughs> no, really, it's you know, I, I feel like a little kid sometimes, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go hold the door for that person. I'm just going to go greet them, even when they're not expecting. It just, just little things. But you know, the idea is. Letting the light of God's love shine through you, and we have so much to be grateful for. So brotherly kindness is such an important aspect of what our lives should be producing. And you know what it does? Is It keeps idolatry away because we keep God as God. So our keeping God first for brotherly kindness, what is it?
2: Because godliness gives us a glimpse of what God's own eyes see. Living a life where our relationships can be devoid of idolatry is possible. To be idol-free with others is to be sold out to God first, and it
1: makes our relationships deeper and
2: more genuine.
1: Understand, idolatry gets in the way of our relationships with one another. You think, really? Analyze it. Look at your life, see the things that you idolize, and see how they get in the way of your relationships with the people around you. You'll be surprised and amazed— and probably shocked in a very uh, uh, personal way, like, wow, I'm letting this get in the way of that? What is wrong with me? To be idol-free is to be sold out to God first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You see why this is the first and most important commandment? It has to do with every single part of our lives, no matter what. It always comes back to that. It is God is really, really brilliant. He just <laughs> it just I mean, Jonathan, just to, to, to be able to see it and embrace all of these things and say, "Wow, what a plan this is to help us live lives that are really, really um, valuable in the sight of others." And it's a great witness. We move on to our final allegiance attribute. You know, we've gone through all of these things, and now we get to the final one, and you all know what it is. It's love. This is the allegiance of our purpose. You know, we don't want to look at love as just an emotion. We want to see it as the purpose of life, selfless love. There is no higher allegiance to God than the purpose of selfless love. This is what Jesus' human life taught us. By definition, dwelling in Jesus' selfless example is living with God first, and there is no room for idolatry. Now, look, we can't do this perfectly, but because we can't do it perfectly, God judges our intentions and our efforts. Whew! Yeah.
2: (laughs) Glad of that.
1: (laughs) But you, you see the value of him judging our intentions and efforts and saying, it's okay, get up again. It's okay, get up again. It's okay, get up again. This is the development process. And as we get up each time, let us draw closer to God and put away the idols thou shalt have no other gods before me have no graven images in your life let's go to 1st John three thirteen to 16 do not be surprised brethren if the world
2: hates you we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he who does not love abides in death everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him we know love by this That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren.
1: That is a powerful, powerful verse with powerful direction about how to live in a godly way, always putting God first. Pass from death to life because we love the brotherhood. We need to make that our own. Okay, so Jonathan, as we wrap this whole thing up, keeping God first now, you know what? This is going to kind of sum up all of the things that we've so far been talking about. It is one thing to
2: desire to have God first in our lives and another to live it. To get there, we must daily focus on developing our purpose. This can only happen by living our faith with moral excellence and knowledge. We need self-control, perseverance, and godliness Defend fend off our natural propensities for idolatry, so brotherly kindness and love can
1: flourish in an
2: unhindered
1: way. That's the formula for thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's it. Peter tells us it's right in front of us. We just have to put all of those pieces in place. But you know what? Peter doesn't stop there. It's not enough for him to just say, here, this is how you do it. He's going to now say, here's the promised blessing that God gives us if we follow this path of putting God first. He tells us, here's the result. And listen, folks, you got to listen carefully to this. This is big. 2 Peter 1, verses 8 through 10.
2: For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Remember,
1: Christians, God saved you from slavery. And, you know... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Why did God say that? He said that because I delivered you from bondage that was 142 years old, and you all were able to walk away. That is not possible without God Almighty. This is why. Because God is a loving, powerful God of plans and purposes. And, you know, it's interesting here because Peter started us off By saying, giving all diligence, you know, add to your faith all of these things. Remember, and, you know, earnestly work at it. Don't stop. Just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving forward. Well, and he says, um, he ends by saying, be all the more diligent. Again, Jonathan, he says it again, that don't stop. Be diligent now to take all of the pieces, all of what you've done, all of what you're working on, all of the things that help you put God first so that you can actually be faithful. Because if you do these things, here's the promise, you will never fall. In other words, faithfulness is attainable even when we're imperfect because God makes up the difference because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Folks, thou shalt have no other gods before God. This is how we keep that in order. Never make an idol. Never have anything be a symbol of something that takes us away from God Almighty. Always. Put God first. Think about it. Listen, folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. we greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, what about reincarnation? What about Ghosts? Well, totally different subject. We'll talk to you then.